everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Have a tremendous episode in store today where I welcome in Todd Henry, who is positioning himself as an arms dealer for the creative revolution. Todd teaches leaders and organizations how to establish practices that lead to everyday brilliance. And he is the author of seven books. His newest one is out today called The Brave Habit. And we talk a lot about the book and really how we can all be brave in our creative endeavors. So I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation. Without further ado, please welcome in Todd Henry. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Brian, it's so good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, congrats on the on the new book um, that's coming out, The Brave Habit. So what is this, book number like seven for you? What's How, how many do you have now? This is number seven. Yeah. yeah, seven in, I think I've pretty much been under deadline since 2009 is the way that I <laughs> like to describe it. Yeah, I pretty much have, I've been a serial book writer uh, yeah. over the last, I guess, 14 years. So. Yeah, wow. And we can get into a little bit of if we have some time at the end. I, I did want to start because, again, being the Just Get Started podcast, I mean, folks struggle so much with just the first steps out of the gate. Sometimes they do start and then they struggle and that's like, well, I'm just going to quit instead of kind of iterating and what have you. So I thought it would be a fun spot if you're okay with it, because I saw that your, we'll call it sunsetting your podcast, right? I after am. 18 years. But I thought it was interesting when I was kind of researching prior that you had a podcast prior to that podcast, just for a short time. And I thought that I might be a good place to start. Because again, some people get out of the gate, they start something. And then instead of iterating, you know, prototyping and then changing, they just start, they stop altogether. So can you share maybe that the yeah. early days of podcasting and how you got started? Yeah. So I, I would say that the first, my first effort at podcasting was kind of like doing these little audio essays that I would do on things I was noticing hmm. um, around me. And all I remember, and honestly, I don't remember the name of the show because <laughs> it was such a short lived, yeah. you know, project. Um, and this was in 2000 early 2005. Um, but, you know, like we took our kids to the zoo and I did a little audio essay about what I observed from taking the kids to the zoo. And then, uh, you know, we did a, um, uh, I did another thing about like a walk that I took around the neighborhood and just did some observations. And it was really more of a story-based type of show, um, and which was fine, but wasn't I think ultimately I realized, okay, that may not be where I want to land mm -hmm. um, because I was really, as a creative director, I was really struggling with, you know, staying fresh and healthy and keeping my team fresh and healthy. And so I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I could do a show that was more about the, what I call the create on demand world, you know, this pressure to have to go to work and create every day. And so that's when I started the Accidental Creative Podcast as kind of a fun side project in 2005, late 2005, early 2006. Um, but it was, to your point, I think it was those early first kind of stumbling steps in the direction of doing a podcast that ultimately led me to think, okay, this is viable. Um, I had a little, like a little playground to sort of experiment yeah. in before I went public in a big way with the accidental creative um, in a big way, by the way, meaning I just put it out to the world, right? Like, yeah. cause uh, there weren't a ton of people listening to podcasts back then. Um, the irony of it is the new direction, you know, we're sunsetting the accidental creative, but it's really re being reinvented as daily creative. And the irony of it is that the new show is more of a 
storytelling format mm. where it's it is more like that original show that I created in 2005. So it's kind of a strange full circle moment that um, things have kind of come back to where I started in the very beginning with the, that original show. Interesting. Well, I want to noodle on that for a minute. So did I see it correctly where are you taking accidental creative like off the market altogether? Like there's no episodes? I'm curious if, if that's Correct. true. How, how did you come to that decision to not just leave it on all those years? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a really difficult decision because, you know, I've been talking about 18 years of a body of work, right? That, I mean, really since 2005, um, I think we have episodes live from maybe 2012, 2013 on. Mm -hmm. um, it was a really difficult decision, but because we're completely reinventing the focus and the brand and the, the, the methodology by which we produce the shows and the voice of the show and everything, it just felt like the right decision to sunset the show and to start over again. Um, because, uh, if people were to come into this new format that we're doing and then click back a couple of episodes and hear me interviewing someone or hear, you know, a, a solo show that was in a kind of a completely different voice, it would be a little bit disconcerting to, I think, to that person. Um, so while we are reinventing the show, we're not, I'm not, creating a new show. I'm not trying, you know, I'm not basically abandoning existing subscribers. We're just going to reinvent the okay. name of the show, the brand of the show. It'll, it'll show up in people's podcast feed as a new show with season one, episode one of daily creative. And again, I, I think sometimes, and this kind of relates to the topic of, of the book, right? The brave habit, the new book that's coming out. Um, you know, sometimes we just have to plant a flag in the ground. If, if we believe it's the right direction and, you know, I mean, I've been doing this long enough to realize when it's time for a change and it just feels like it's time for a change. And the decision I was really trying to make was I've had this thing that's been pretty successful for a number of years. We've got, we've got sponsorships, advertisers. It's a, it's been a significant source of revenue. Um, but it doesn't feel like it is the right direction for the future. Mm -hmm. And so I could just keep, doing what I was doing. I could just keep riding that wave and right. continue, you know, riding it until it eventually declines and, you know, cause everything has an arc, right. Or I can plant a flag and, and try to make the brave decision now and redirect and, um, you know, at the, I mean, significant cost of foregoing when we're foregoing advertising revenue in quarter one, while we relaunch, like we're, yeah. you know, so there are real costs to this, but it feels like the right thing to do um in these circumstances and i felt like i can't be releasing a book called the brave habit and not right. be modeling for people That's what fair. it means to make brave decisions with your work and so that was kind of the decision process yeah and i mean it comes back to i mean i think this can be applied across you know all things is that that sunk cost fallacy that we have to keep going with it just because we've done it before and i think i think i, I see folks struggle with this with their their career even it's like oh I've been in this career for a dozen years. I have to keep going with it instead of taking a step right. back. Do I really want to do this for the next 20 years? Yes, there might be, again, maybe there's a reduction in salary or maybe there's whatever. Um, and you could see this with projects as well. So how, how did, I guess, how do you discuss or talk with folks about that, the sunk cost of making those decisions? Because that's a big, a big jump to go from one thing that they kind of, they did for so long and it's kind of ingrained in their identity. Right. 
So it's not a decision to be made lightly. Um, and that, and that's the other thing I would say is, you know, th there's a, there's a whole strategy behind why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and those old episodes aren't completely going away. We're making them available inside of an app that we're creating that you yeah. know, is, is a subscription app. Um, so we're not, I'm not completely abandoning the last 18 years of my work. It's just that the public facing part of my work is, is changing. Mm -hmm. Um, but for people who are trying to make those decisions, I would say a couple of things. Um, you need to make certain that if you have stakeholders in this decision, that those stakeholders are being considered and addressed. Um, do not make knee-jerk decisions based upon your your instinctual um, response to something that happened in your environment, right? Like suddenly you've got a difficult you know task you have to do at work that you don't like anymore. So now I'm going to quit my job and go do something else. I mean, it's kind of a, a silly way to make a decision. Um, you need to make sure that your stakeholders are taken care of. You need to make sure that you have a, a strategy, a plan for moving forward. You need to make sure that you're, you're acting bravely, not just boldly. Um, there's a difference between bravery and boldness. Uh, boldness is often reactive. Boldness is uh, emotional. It's impulsive. Whereas bravery is always empathetic and bravery is always driven by vision. Uh, I'm moving towards something, not just running away from something. Um, and so I would just encourage people to consider that. Are you moving toward or are you, are you running away from um, when, you, when you consider your, your decision making? I have a friend, and actually it's interesting we tell this story in season one, episode one of, of Daily Creative, um, who created, a, his name's John Bob Willis. He created a restaurant for one night. He's a commercial photographer, but he'd always wanted to be a chef. He created a restaurant for one night and he called it snake bite because he is deathly afraid of snakes. And so he wanted to name it after something he was afraid of because most of us, for most of us, their biggest fear is failure. Um, so he created this restaurant for one night, promoted it, thought it might, this might absolutely be a disaster. It might fail. They ended up feeding 250 people that night, which is pretty crazy. Um, there was a line around the block to get in. Um, but the reason he did it was he was really provoked by a question that he couldn't get out of his head, which was, what if fear had no power over you and failure was an option? You know, we often ask the more naive question, which is what if, what if you, what would you do if you couldn't fail? But that's, that's a silly question because failure is always a possibility, right? Instead, he asked, what if fear had no power over you and failure was an option? It was okay to fail, Right. And you weren't afraid and, and you weren't afraid. So what would you do then if it was okay to fail? And he said, well, I, I think I'd open a restaurant. So he did for one night. He did it as an experiment. Um, I think that's the probably the most meaningful contributive question people can ask when they're starting something new is not what would I do if I couldn't fail? Because that's disingenuous. But to ask instead, what if I wasn't afraid and failure was an option? What might I try? And then like John Bob did, do do little experiments, right? Do yeah. something for a night, right? See if it works or do something for a week or create one project and see how it goes. That's what I did with the podcast back in 2005. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to play around with this medium, see what happens. And I thought, oh, I kind of like this. Maybe I'll do something more more fully formed with the accidental creative. And 18 years later, we're, we're still going. So, And do you find like that's maybe your friend, John, like if if they said, I'm going to open a restaurant, and like, that was the goal. Like, that's a massive undertaking to say, I'm going to open oh, a yeah. whole restaurant. But I think, I, I, and I kind of uh, categorize it as like output versus outcome goals. If it's an output goal, hey, I'm going to do 10 episodes of a podcast. Now I'm committed to yeah. 10. And then I could iterate, prototype uh, a different idea after. But if it's like, I'm going to start a podcast, there's no kind of 
potential end in sight. And that's where I think it becomes that's overwhelming, right. right? That's right. Absolutely right. So I've, I've adopted um, something I call the trimester method um, okay. for, for my, for my project work. And this is, by the way, this is a, I've never talked about this before publicly. So it's the first time I've ever shared this publicly. Um, but what I do is I basically engage, there are three trimesters a year. Um, so four months in a trimester, I set goals for three, three of those months. And then I spend the fourth month sort of recuperating from all the work and planning for the next trimester. Um, I have outcomes that I want to accomplish in those three months um, and projects I want to accomplish in those three months. So for example, the last trimester of, of 2023, um, I wrapped, completed, designed, and set up my book for publication. I created a course, an online course, including like physical, you know, workbooks and other things. Um, we, we relaunched the brand as daily creative, which now is going to happen obviously in the first part of the year, but all the work happened, you know, this, this last trimester. So I had some big, big projects that I worked really hard on for three months. And then the month of December was largely, okay, what's, what's next month, what's the next, uh, three months going to be. And what are the projects for the next three months? What's the strategy going to look like moving forward? Um, I would encourage people to do something similar. If you think maybe launching a podcast is your thing, great. Take the next three months to produce six episodes. And that's all you have to do. Just produce six episodes of a podcast and see how it goes. And I guarantee you, when you first start, your first episode is going to be not so great. Um, I played on the last episode of the Accidental Creative, I played a snippet from my very first episode of the podcast in 2005. It was terrible. I mean, it was <laughs> awful. Um, but I mean, that's how you start, right? That's how you, you start the way that you find your voice. The way you develop your voice is by emulating people you respect. And that's what I was doing. I was sort of emulating probably some NPR host or something. And right. I was talking like this and I, yeah, trying to, you know, right. like you start by emulating other people. And then over time, you become comfortable and you begin to develop your own style, your own unique voice, and you begin to contribute in a, in a unique way. And so I would just encourage people, pick something choose a finish line that is reasonable in a finite amount of time and just sprint and just get it done and then see where you are at the end of it. And it doesn't have to be successful. Just, just try it and see what happens. Um, and you'll learn a lot along the way. You'll figure out, you know, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And then at that point you can make some decisions about whether you want to continue the project, but everything is done. Nobody writes a book. Um, nobody, creates a podcast, nobody launches a business. It's the result of steady daily progress, steady daily work. When I'm writing a book, I don't write a book. I write 500 words at a time yeah. every single day. That's it, 500 words every single day, which by the way, doesn't take very long. It only takes maybe 20 to 30 minutes to get 500 words, but I do it every single day, which means Every two weeks, I have a chapter. That means every month, I have a couple chapters. Every quarter, I have several sections of a book. You know, yeah. within six months to eight months, I've got a draft of a book. That's how you do projects. That's how you find your voice. That's how you get started. Um, I think so many people are paralyzed because it seems overwhelming to them. Yeah. Um, but you just have to break it down into smaller chunks and just work a little bit every day. So I like this trimester method. So you're taking four months, the three, you're kind of going hard. And mm -hmm. then the last month is more of this kind of recalibrate for the next 
trimester, if I'm understanding right. that. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's planning strategy, recuperation, all of that. Yeah. And then, so how do you, so going back, let's talk about the daily like habits, like how do you structure, or maybe again, you might be different than other folks. You might maybe have more of an umbrella encouragement, but like in terms of structuring a day or maybe let's say a week, like how do you structure that mm -hmm. to make sure you're hitting some of these goals for the projects? It's a great question. Yeah. So I, I mean, obviously I know what my goals are for the trimester. Um, so I know what I'm trying to accomplish and I know generally what tasks I'm going to have to accomplish in order to do that. So I, I operate in step sprint and stretch goals, mm. um, stretch, the stretch goals are the, the big goal, the big thing, like uh, the book will be ready for launch by the end of November. Right. Cause that was the end of my trimester. Um, well, within that, I have several sprint goals, meaning, okay, well, we need to get the design done for the book. You know, we need to do the final edit of the book. We need to you know, lay out the book. We need to do all those things. Um, or with the, the rebranding of the podcast, we have to figure out what's the voice, what's the arc. We have to schedule interviews. We have to do the interviews. We have to you know, edit the episodes. We have to, you know, all those things. Well, those are sprint goals, meaning they typically take place over one to two weeks within that trimester. Mm -hmm. So in the next two weeks, I'm going to focus on the design of the book. I'm going to focus on the layout of the book. I'm going to figure out distribution for the book, you know, all the things that, that need to happen. Um, the step goals are the daily tasks. So you, you break the sprints down into daily tasks and you accomplish those daily tasks. So they kind of nest within one another. Um, and so that's, and I wrote about that in Die Empty, you know, my book that came out in 2013, Step, Sprint and Stretch Goals. And that's really the way that I've been working on projects for years and years and years, because if you just say, okay, I'm going to work toward, and again, I'm just using the example of releasing the book because, sure. you know, that's one of the more recent projects. If you say, I'm going to release a book, that's a big overwhelming. I mean, what do I do today? Well, I could, I could work on the design or I could work on the editing or I could work on, but if you have sprints set up and then you can break those sprints down into individual steps, it becomes really easy to determine what do I need to do this week in order to accomplish that sprint in two weeks. Um, and then I time block. So, you know, okay, Monday morning, I'm taking two hours. I'm doing deep work on this specific task. Uh, Tuesday morning, I'm taking two hours. I'm doing deep work on this specific task. And it's difficult because I travel, I speak, yeah. I'm on the road. Um, so, you know, I have to really be strategic and plan around that in order to ensure that I'm, I'm dedicating the time to those tasks. But it, it sounds almost too simple to be true when yeah. you think about it that way. But that's how work gets done. And, and I don't care who you are at whatever level you're operating at. That's how work gets done. It doesn't get done in these giant acts of the will. I mean, I see people all the time online, you know, I, I, I won't, I won't, obviously I won't mention any names, but I've seen people talk about the book that they're working on and, Hey, I wrote 3000 words today on my book and they'll, they'll post things like that. And I know they're still working on the same book that they've been working on for two years or three years. And that's fine. That's great. But I'm like, if you just sat down and cranked out 500 words a day for six months, you would already have a draft, right? Um, instead of waiting until you're ready to write 3000 words or waiting until you're inspired. There's a great Somerset mom quote uh, that I first heard from Stephen Pressfield in 2007. Um, he said, and I think it's in the war of art, actually. He said, um, somebody asked him, do you only write when you're inspired or do you have a regular schedule? And he said, well, I only write when I'm inspired. Fortunately, inspiration strikes every morning at 9am. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> and I think that's the way we have to approach our work. 
we have to show up every single day, whether we feel like it or not, and hit our whatever that step goal is for the day. If I'm writing a book, it's 500 words. You know, if I'm doing a design project, it's I'm not going to stop until I have this figured out, the concept figured out. Right. right? Um, you have to figure out what that step goal is and just hit the nail every single day. That's how we. That's how you make progress. Well, and I think Stephen, I'll, I, one of the things I love that he says is it's writing is not hard. It's the act of sitting down to write. Like that's right. where we that's struggle. Right. right. And I think you made a great point with the, I know near all talks about this a lot with the time blocking is probably the best thing that we could do. And I even get, cause I get stuck in this. You kind of get in this, you know, process of like, well, I'll get to it here. Let me put 15 minutes there. But when you really carve out like 30, 60, 90 minutes, whatever it is, it's amazing what you can get done with focused effort. It's just amazing. And then For to sure. your point, kind of going to the, I love the sprint idea because it's, it's like the, you know, like app development kind of thing. This is what I'm working mm -hmm. on for these two weeks. Everything else gets pushed aside. You can accomplish so much if you just focus. And I think that's what most of us, I mean, I know for many years, that's where I got lost is the focus because yeah. the 3000 person writing, they may do that, but yeah, they don't write for three more months. It's that consistent effort that's each right. and every day. Well, and there's, there's something, uh, I mean, and psychologists would tell you that there's something about doing that 3000 word push that makes you feel like you've accomplished something. And now you can take some time off and it, and honestly, it completely exhausts you. Mm -hmm. um, I am never completely exhausted at the end of a writing session. As a matter of fact, when I get to 500 words, I, I follow uh, the sort of the Ernest Hemingway advice of end with the beginning in mind, right? Like quit while you know exactly where you're going the next day. Yeah. Um, so that when you pick up your writing session the next day, you know exactly where you're going to start. So if I get to 500 words, I use a, a tool called Scrivener to write my books. I've used them since the accidental creative, since my very first book. Yeah. Um, when I get to 500 words, I'll, I'll see, I can see my word count for 498, 499, 500. If I'm in the middle of a sentence, I'm done. I stop. I stop at 500 words and I'm, I'm done for the day in the middle of a sentence. And then the next day, when I come back to my writing session, you know, one, two, three, like I'm starting right where I left off. And it's a great way to keep momentum going. Um, some people write until they're exhausted. And then the next day they have to figure out, okay, what am I going to write today? And so it's kind of this, it's kind of a little hack to keep your momentum going yeah. when you're working on something, um, especially when you're trying to get started with something, it's a little hack actually to not, you know, don't work until you're exhausted, you know, work, work until you hit whatever metric you set for yourself and make it a reasonable metric and make it something that's tolerable. You know, like I said, I travel a lot. I speak a lot. Um, it's not reasonable for me to say, I'm going to write 1500 words a day on a book. I mean, there are days I just physically don't have the time to do that, but right. I can always find time to write 500 words, five days a week. I can always find the time to do that. Right. I mean, there's no excuse for not finding that if I'm, if I'm working on a book. So that's, that's the reason I set that goal at when I started, it was a thousand. And I found there are a lot of days where I was so busy. I only got to 800, 900. And so I thought, okay, what's a more reasonable goal that I can just hit every single day and just work, make steady progress every single day. It makes, it makes a big difference. Well, it's like a new year's resolution. And I think where a lot of folks struggle is like, Oh, I'm going to go to the gym for two hours. You know, they've never went to the gym for the last year. And now it's like this instead of, Hey, you know, I'm going to walk around the block for 10 minutes the next week. And then maybe I up it, or maybe I, you know, do some pushups and kind of that slow momentum. If you did that for a year, Oh my God, it's amazing. What could, be accomplished. But to your point, it's not some large chunk, like I'm going to go to the gym for 10 hours. That doesn't do anything. It's going to the gym for right. 10, 15 minutes for 10 straight days. That's what really makes the, 
you know, the accomplishment a lot larger when it started. So I think you it make does. It, and I think, I think the, the other thing that's, that, that is really, I think, adjacent to that is you have to decouple your effort and the projects from the results, right? Um, you have to say the work is worth doing for the sake of the work, not because of whatever results I'm seeing from the work. Um, and so when I'm writing a book, sometimes what I'm writing is not good. And I know it's not good. I know I can make it good, but you have to decouple yourself from that and say, I'm just going to keep going until I make it good, right? I'm going to keep pursuing it until I make it good. Or when you're, if let's say to back to your example of starting a podcast, right? I'm going to keep making podcasts until I figure out how to make one that, that is something I would want to listen to. Um, but a lot of people, they start and it's hard and it's not good, or they go to the gym and they, you know, do this for a couple of weeks and then, you know, they're lifting weights for a couple of weeks and then they don't see results right away. And so they are like, okay, well, I haven't lost 20 pounds yet and put on muscle. So I'm going to quit right after two weeks or three weeks, you have to become the kind of person who just shows up and does the thing every day. That that's what you, you have to, you, you have to embrace process. That's why I try to teach creative pros all the time. People become obsessed with product, with the end result, but the end result is the final 1% of 99% of process you've been engaging in that entire time. This is where a lot of organizations get off the rails that I work with because managers come in and they're judging the product, the very end result, but they're not willing to ask questions about, about the process that led to that product. Help me understand, why did you make this decision? Why did you choose this instead of that? You know, Instead, they'll just come in and say, that's not right, that's not right, change this, change that, and the people doing the work are like, well, okay, fine. But we actually thought this was a pretty great <laughs> solution to the problem you gave us. Um, and I think people do the same thing with their own work, right? They don't take the time to engage, to fall in love with the process of their work. Yeah. If you're going to do anything meaningful, you have to fall in love with the process of your work, meaning you have to show up every single day and just do the work, period. Make something every single day, produce something every single day. Uh, if you wait until you are inspired to do it, then you're going to fail because inspiration is fleeting. Okay. That's a great point. Actually, I have in front of me, this is a tweet that you did. Verbing versus nouning. I don't know if you remember writing this. Yeah. Focus on verbing. I do. I was nouning. quoting Austin Cleon, actually. Yeah. Don't be a writer. Be a person who writes. Don't be a runner. Be a person who runs. Don't be a creative. Be a person who creates things. Focus on who you are becoming, not who you wish you were right now. And that kind of yeah. hits, hits that point home. Um yeah, absolutely. Todd, it's been a lot of fun. So so the Brave Habit coming out. Um, this is a really cool book. I, I know what I like about this is these checkpoints that you have. Because I'm I'm so big on the last several years about journaling. And what I found with journaling is like asking myself questions helps bring out all these things. If we just have it sitting in our head and we never think about it. So I really love the checkpoints. I'm just kind of curious, last question or two, like, how did you think yeah. about the structure of this book? Did that just come to you or is that like a long iterative process of figuring out how you want to structure this thing? So I've been working on this book since 2016. Um, and I pitched it initially to, to my publisher uh, when we were working on Herding Tigers. Uh, then we ended up doing Herding Tigers and I pitched it again and we ended up doing the Motivation Code in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I pitched it again, and we ended up doing Daily Creative in 2022. So yeah. I've been sort of working on this book the whole time while I've been sort of doing these other projects. And really what pushed me over the edge to, to actually finally make it into a book was I got an email from um, 
an email from uh, a writer um, who I really admire, somebody who's you know, published and sold a ton of best-selling books. And it was about uh, an article that I wrote where I talked about some of these principles of bravery. And he said, this is really good. This needs to be something. And so I finally was like, okay, I need, regardless, I need to turn this into a book, but I wanted it to be something that was uh, accessible, short, easy to read. Um, really just, you know, it, it, typically books, you, you often find books that are maybe 250 pages. And after you read them, you think, okay, that probably could have been 150 pages yeah. really, if they really right. tried to get it tight and concise. So I wanted to write something that people could just read like in a plane trip or read, you know, very quickly, like in the course of a couple or three days. Um, so it is short, it's concise. And really what I wanted to do is just convey the, diff the that bravery, especially when we're doing creative work, meaning we're, we're having to solve problems, show up, face uncertainty every day, make things, start things, um, that bravery is a choice, that it's a habit. It's not a baked in personality trait. It's not like, oh, well, some people are brave and some people aren't. No, we can choose, we can cultivate bravery. And there are some specific reasons why people opt out of bravery. Mm. And it's usually because they either lack a, an optimistic vision or they lack a sense that they have agency to act. And there are ways we can cultivate those things. And you mentioned the checkpoints. That's sort of what the checkpoints are designed to do is to help you cultivate agency or cultivate your optimistic vision. Um, so that was really the reason that was the, the whole point of the book was to try to help people understand that bravery is something you can choose, not something that's just a natural result of who you are. Um, and hopefully in that way, encourage people to do, to do brave work and to engage in brave relationships in their life. Yeah. Well, and I think it starts, I mean, one, that's a, I think that's a great thing because I think we all can be brave if we accept and we, we say, Hey, I can take control of this and I can be brave if I want to be and not let the outside external factors uh, bother us. But what I do like about the checkpoints, because maybe a lot of folks are, don't think about this, but those, you have to be brave to answer those questions yourself right? Because that even just right. answering that question is very challenging. So if you can start answering those questions, I think that gives you some agency, as you said, to kind of take a big leap. So yeah, I appreciate yeah, you I putting, right. putting this out in the world. That's a, um, that's a great thing we all need. So well, I appreciate that. And, and it's a, also it's a concept, like I feel like courage, we've talked a lot about courage in culture, and you hear that word thrown around, but but saying have courage, to me feels a little like saying be taller, or <laughs> you know, um, have better taste, right. Yeah. Or have better hair or something like, it's something like, I can't control that. It's like, how do I have more courage? But it's my belief that bravery is the active form of courage. You know, courage is a resource at the ready, but bravery is the choice to deploy it. Mm. And so really what I wanted to do was encourage people, listen, um, you think bravery is running into a building to save someone that that is it's it's heroism for sure. But bravery can also look like sharing an idea in a meeting when you're afraid that your manager is going to look at you funny, or it could be, put, you know, starting a podcast and putting it out and inviting a couple of friends to listen, you know, or something. I mean, that could that for a lot of people, that's brave, you know, to do that or. Uh, you know, it could be reconciling a relationship where maybe you you feel like the other person's in the wrong, but you're going to take the first step to initiate a conversation and, and have a, a conversation with them to try to reconcile. That's that's brave to do that. And, you know, we tend to not think of those things as brave. We tend to think of them as, you know, whatever. But but those are brave actions. Leading bravely means I'm going to put my personal reputation on the line in order to do something that I know is right, even though there could be consequences. And I'm going to accept those consequences. That's brave yeah. leadership. And we don't see that a lot in our culture, unfortunately. Um, 
So that's what I wanted to try to do with the book. And I, I hope that it accomplishes that purpose. I want to inspire an epidemic of everyday bravery. So yeah. hopefully it will oh, accomplish that purpose. I love that. So obviously you can get that anywhere um, where books are sold or is there a spot you recommend folks to go? Yeah, anywhere books are sold. Um, it's called The Brave Habit. Uh, you can obviously grab it at toddhenry.com starting on January 23rd if you'd like to, to buy it directly from me. There's also a workbook um, that accompanies the book that's available wherever books are sold as well. So you can find that on, on Amazon as well or Barnes Noble, wherever you buy your books. Awesome. Well, Todd, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for coming on and uh, sharing some of this wisdom that you've gained over the years. And I think that's helpful for everyone to get started. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for the work that you do. Uh, you know, I know how hard it is to consistently put stuff into the world and, um, you know, to, to do it as an act of service to your to your audience, to those who listen to you. So thanks for taking the time to show up every day and be consistent in putting stuff into the world. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.